Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Hey, it's good to be with you. Um, I like singing with, with you guys. Y'all like that gratitude song, don't you? You guys sing that one out loud. It's good. I love that. I hope you also appreciated hearing the hearts of the Sergios. Um, I shared this first service as well. Um, those two have uh, challenged me in my own faith. Um, they have been an encouragement. Uh, what it looks like to utterly abandon the things of the world, maybe some distractions, and uh, just fully focus solely focus on what the Lord has called them to. Uh, that's it's good. It's, it's a tough road that they're going to walk, but they're confident in what God has called them to. And so I'm grateful for them. I hope you were able to join us uh, last week for Vision Sunday. We spent a long time celebrating what God has done here, so in and through the lives of, of people here at Summit Church. Uh, we we shared stories about life transformation, um, and I knew those stories going in, and I've even heard them several times, and I still teared up <laughs> as, I, as I recognized the life change, what God is doing in the hearts of people. Uh, we looked at some eternal investments that have been made. We talked about how there have been like 185, I think, professions of faith, first-time professions of faith, and 141 baptisms, believe it or not. And, and that, was, that was overwhelming. It was powerful. Um, and, but then it wasn't until later in the evening where we were at Life Group and uh, one of, the, one of the, the ladies in our, in our group said, you know, kind of took me aback. It's like, my kids are in that number. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. My kids are in that number. And then another one of uh, the parents said, yeah, my eldest daughter leaned over to me as Dan was sharing those, those numbers and says, I'm one of those baptisms. Whew. The Lord is doing stuff here. And I want to continually be a part of that. So I, I'm excited for that. Um, we, we are looking forward to what God is calling us to. That's the backdrop that we've had. And we want to continue in that. And so we, we need to make room. We need to make room, not just for physical space, although that is important. We learned last week that practical issues have spiritual implications. Did you pick that up last week? We need to make room. We need to make room for new classrooms and more gathering space and better equipped restrooms. You know that. But really, what we're making room for is for God to change us. That's what we're desiring to make room for, that God would change us, He would transform us, he, that He would renew us. And that happens when we are united around a common vision that is bigger than ourselves, something that is from God. And so when we, when we as a church body, when we count the cost of, of going in a direction that God has called us to, we sit down, we count the cost, we give sacrificially, and we are fully devoted to that mission of God, we then see his incredible work among us. He did it last time, and he's going to do it again. And the gates of hell won't prevail, by the way. Uh, if we make that kind of room in our hearts, in our lives, then how could others not be drawn to that, um, to, to the God that we serve? And so that's, that's what we're aiming for. If you missed that presentation, I encourage you to go to the app. Uh, it is there. You can watch it there. You can reach out to the office if you're looking for that link as well. And then after that presentation, there is a short survey that we're asking you to, to fill out. Um, we need your honest input because we're doing this together. Um, we want your honest input, your reaction to the presentation. Um, there are going to be next steps through this process because that's important. And so watching the presentation, filling out that survey, that is one of the first steps. 
Next week, I'll let you know as well, it may feel a bit different, um, but we're going to take some time in service to, to fill out another form because we're looking for specific feedback um, about the feasibility of this project. So here, here's the thing, folks. We want to do this the right way. And the right way has steps to it. And so this is one of the ways we're doing that. I'm excited about what is next for this group of believers that I get to be a part of and what God is calling us to. All right, so as you know, we're studying James. We've been in James for the last several uh, weeks. Um, one of the things that we have done as we've carefully walked through this letter and, and studied it, um, we've challenged each other to also write it out. So handwriting out the book of James. How are you doing on that? Are you continuing in that? So-so? I hear a couple, ah, not so well. All right, you, we're still in it. It's fine. Continue on. Write out the book of James. Uh, and if you're aiming to maybe do a chapter a week, I know that's what many of you have been doing since we started, you would technically be jumping into chapter five this week. But if you're not there, that's okay. Keep going. We'll be in James for a while. Uh, we, however, are closing out uh, chapter one today um, in our teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, take them out um, we're going to be in James chapter 1, obviously, verses 19 through 27. We're going to end the chapter today. I'm going to be reading from the ESV for your reference. This is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. This should be on screen for you. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask, we ask you to make your presence uh, known to us through your word. Show us what you want to show us. Move us how you want to move us. Love us as you always have. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may remember uh, that James is writing this letter to Jewish believers that have been scattered abroad outside of Jerusalem. Um, he's writing to encourage them, to instruct them, to, to build them up. Uh, because for many of them, this was, this was a new faith, a new understanding of their faith, their, their new belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were, they, were, they were facing confusion, they were facing persecution on top of that. And so they needed to know what it looked like, some practical ways that they could, they could follow Jesus and be fully devoted in their faith. That's what he's writing about. And he's speaking plainly and practically, which no doubt was very helpful for them, and indeed it's helpful for us today. And so this passage that we're going to look at really has a few movements to it. There, and and there's, there's an overarching theme that I think should become rather plain to us. It's about the Word. It's about the Word of God and the implications then the Word has for us. 
So we've, we've set up the context now for the book of James. But as this, this, these movements that I, that I reference, there's a progression here. And there's three movements, and they all have to do with the word. And again, it's implications for us. So it's going to be the path that we take, and I, I want to give this to you, this progression to you first, um, and then we'll, we'll move through it. So if we look at verse 18, which actually we didn't read, but it sets up verse 19 through 27. It's where Dan ended two weeks ago. So verse 18, of his own will, of God's own will, he, God, brought us forth. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So meaning that we as believers, we have been born of God by God. And that has happened through Jesus. Now Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture, aka he is the word of truth. Okay, so we are new creatures now because we have been brought forth by Christ. We are new creatures, not our old selves. Okay, so now verses 19 through 27 are meant to be understood in light of that announcement. That the word has brought us to God and we, are, we have new life because of it. The fancy word for that is regeneration. We've been made new. Okay, so that's movement number one. That's going to set us up. The word regenerates us. Following our regeneration, I'm going to give you the next two, we receive the word. And then finally, we respond to the word. The word regenerates us. We receive it. And then we respond to it. That's the progression of this text. That's our path for understanding what James is instructing us with. So let's read verses 19 through 20 as we, um, as we jump into this first movement. Know this, verse 19, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So know this, it says, or listen to this, or the, the KJV, I think, says, wherefore, because of your regeneration, your newness in life, Here's something you ought to know. There's a pattern here in James, if you haven't noticed that. Because of this, here's what you need to know. Okay, James gives three positive instructions and, an, and then an explanation of why. You've been regenerated. You've been made new. So three things, listen well, think before you speak, and watch your anger carefully. Right off the bat, simple instructions. He says, because those things left unchecked do not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, now it seems rather simple, but I believe it's supposed to be, right? James is starting with these common examples of human behavior that are going to be readily familiar to you and I, to anyone reading it, right? As soon as you read that, as soon as we read that this morning, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Every one of us in here went, yeah, I can identify with something there. What James is doing is he's calling attention to things that so easily well up. It's common for us. It wells up within, within our natural flesh, right? And those things are, are in contrast with who we have become in Christ. That new creation or the first fruits that are referenced in verse 18. So what he's doing in effect here is he's cautioning us. He's saying, watch carefully those things that want to, to, to just naturally bubble up out of us. Because you have been made new, there should be a new filter in place. And you are going to have to check yourself when the old natural spring begins to gurgle within you. Okay? This is just really practical stuff. Tangible handles that he's giving to us. And, it, and so if, if you look at this, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, he says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If he's saying that, that not doing these things does not produce the righteousness of God, 
we can assume that in the positive command of practicing these things indeed would produce the righteousness of God. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Can we focus on that word slow for a minute? We hate slow. I hate slow. Yes, we hate slow. We hate slow cars, slow internet, slow progress, slow answers when dealing with Xfinity. Some personal experience there. Uh, us no likey slow. We don't like slow. But James is saying be, be slow to speak. Slow to anger. Why? Why should we be slow? Speaking isn't inherently bad. We're to speak the truth. Anger isn't inherently wrong. God experiences anger. Jesus as the Son of God was angry. Surely we experience righteous anger. But the question for us to consider here is, from where are these things welling up within us? Where is it coming from, and, and what is the result going to be of our words and our anger? That's why we have to be slow. It's almost as if James is saying we need to zoom out a bit to carefully watch where your anger is coming from and where your words are heading to. Is this the anger of man, which typically comes pretty quickly? And wells up quickly, or is this truly of God, whose, whose anger is slow and temperate and appropriate? And if we're not slowing down, you can't just know where it's coming from. You, you, if you just let it ride, you, you have to be slow. Now, because of our regeneration, again, that's the context here, because of our regeneration, the Spirit is at work producing in us the things of God. But our old self is still fighting. He's dead to us now, but he wants to rear his ugly head. And so we have to be slow as we interact with our surroundings and our circumstances and other people because what's coming out may not be from the Lord. Notice the precursor to that is, is to be quick to listen, right? We don't want to betray that new creation that God has willed us to become, and so we, we have to be quick to listen first. So we've got two ears and we've got one mouth. At minimum, we should be listening twice as much as we talk. Many of the verbal processors in here, like me, just cringe just a little bit. There, now, there is so much application here to these three things. Um, it's hard to pack all of this in, in one message. We could spend the whole morning examining our lives in just this area. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But we ain't, we ain't got the times, and so we, we can't do that. We're going to move on to verse 21, okay? into our next movement. Be slow, okay? Verse 21, therefore, okay, so therefore, meaning natural man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. We understood that. Therefore, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So here's movement two. We receive the word. We've been regenerated, now we have to receive it. So that same word that has saved us, given us new life, is something that we now possess. It, is, it has, been, has been implanted in us. And James says that we are to receive it as it is able to save our souls. Now that's kind of odd. How can we receive something that we already possess? And, and if it saved us, why is he saying that it is able to save our souls? Answers to those good questions can be found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now I quote this a lot, and you, Dan quotes this a lot. It is a familiar passage that is often quoted from the platform. But in a word on the word, this cannot be avoided. Okay? 
Verse 14, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue in it, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, this is how it plays out then, all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So now, we have not only been made first fruits, new creations by the Word, that word continues to be profitable for us as it makes us, what he says in 2 Timothy, wise for salvation. Meaning that same word works out our salvation over time. It helps us in our battle with sin. It helps us in our growth in grace. We become more like Christ as we continue to receive him. Simply put, he's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. So receive the word and continue in it. But what does that look like to receive the word? What does that look like? It's pretty simple. Again, straightforward. Take away, take away and take in. That's the picture that it gives here. Take away and take in. We are to get rid of, take away, put away from, fully separate ourselves from filthiness and wickedness. In other words, anything that is contrary to the, what the word calls for. Anything. Again, plain speak. Identify what in your life is not from God. Take it away. Make a clean break from those things. And when you do that, it, it is now that you are in a place where you can truly take in, then, the word of truth. And it can become richly planted in you. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dan was um, challenging us in this idea of wisdom. I think it was chapter, beginning of chapter one. Um, how we get wisdom, what it, what it looks like. And he gave four basically pro tips for us as we seek wisdom from God. And the last one, number four, got me. Essentially, uh, have I obeyed what God has already given me to do? If you're seeking something from God, God, what am I supposed to do? Have you already done what he's given you to do? The idea there is that why, why would God continue to give more wisdom if what he's already given you hasn't been followed through on in his word? And he's given us everything in his word. That idea is very similar here. If you want to receive the word and, and take it in, have it become richly planted in you? Have you gotten rid of anything that you know already is in the way? If you haven't done that, how are you going to take in the word and receive truth? Now, putting away sin is receiving the word, okay? Putting away sin is receiving the word. They go hand in hand, but, but you aren't going to grow if you're not willing to take away what shouldn't be in your life. You're just not. So the question then that is begged from this is what things in your life are not from God? What things in your life are not from God? Can you spend time thinking about that? Asking God to reveal those things through his word and, and prayer. What things in your life are not from God? And then try asking it in your life group. What things in your life are not from God? 
then once that has been identified, you need to make a clean break from that. You, you can't just identify it and then ignore it. And we'll see why in just a few verses because James addresses that. But you need to identify what is in your life that isn't from the Lord. Make a clean break from those things. And here's another hint if that last one about life group wasn't clear enough. You need other people to help you do this. You need other people to help you do this well. You'll notice uh, the, the humility that is required for this. And if you want to peek at some of that, you can go to James 5. But the humility that is required to, to, to take away and then take in the word. James says to receive the implanted word. Do you see the word there? With meekness. That's humility. What that means essentially is you, the, the place where this starts is that you have, to, you have to recognize that God and his holy word has something to say about your life. That's amazing. That's awesome that the holy God of the universe who created everything has something to say about your life. It's also kind of daunting. <laughs> and and it's, it, there, there's a humility here that you're going to have to work with. God wants to interact with me. He wants to speak into my life. That's humbling. And if we can tie it to a few, a few verses back, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, those are ways that you practice humility. Right? If, you, if you can recognize someone who, who you know as humble, what typically characterizes them? They're slow to speak. They're slow to become angry. They listen well. They're not ready to just jump on and pounce on something. There's humility there. That is the place that you start with being willing to accept the truth of God, being humble. It puts you in a position to hear the truth of God's word. So then how do I take in? How do I receive the word? What does that look like for us? Engage on Sunday mornings. It's what you're doing here right now. Engage in the word, meaning listen. <laughs> Take notes. Join a Sunday school class. Be a part of a life group who tells you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. Read God's word for yourself. That's number one. I put it last on purpose. Read God's word for yourself. That is how we receive the word and we continue in it. Your open and receptive spirit to God's word and to the guidance of his Holy Spirit is always the way to make progress in the things of God. Always. Okay, let's continue in verse 22, stepping into the last movement here, our response to the word. And really, verse 22, if you could prick the very heart of James, it's right here in this one verse. This is it. Be doers of the word, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So the word has regenerated us. We receive the word and now we respond to the word. Be doers is meant to be understood as, as like show yourselves more and more is what he's saying. Show yourselves. Be out there doing it for there's no other option for those who have been changed. Those who have received the word, this is part of the deal. You have chosen to walk this way. So go out and do it. Don't just hear it. I, you can't get more practical than that. What does the word say? Go do it. And look what it says about those who hear it but don't do anything about it. It says they have deceived themselves. It's kind of a scary thing to deceive yourself. Do you know that's possible? You know it's possible to deceive yourself, to lie to yourself about something? You, you know, I'm not talking about being a hypocrite. Okay, sometimes it can start with that. But, but what I'm talking about here, deceiving yourself, it's... You, you become so, you quickly speak against something or, or you're, you're so adamant about pushing something away, either quickly or even over a period of time, that you actually begin to believe the lie. 
You've seen that happen. James gives us this crazy example of this person looking in a mirror, and it, and it's, it seems so simple, yet it's very revealing. Someone who has deceived themselves, believing the lie. Let's look at verse 23. We'll be, begin to understand this, I think, a little bit more. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Well, that seems to be a rather silly man. For who looks at themselves in the mirror and can't remember what he looks like? But the example he's using is also used to describe what it is like when a believer listens to God's truth and never puts into practice what he has heard. It's ludicrous. Notice what the man sees in the mirror. Do you see what it says there? His what? His natural face. Keeping with our theme, I think we can understand this fully. The mirror of the Word of God reveals us to ourselves. Basically, it shows us that there is something wrong with the nature that we brought into the world with us. Okay? We have value because we're made in the image of God, but that is broken because of sin. And so our nature now, there's something wrong. And if we look into the Word of God, we can, we can see it reveals that to us. And so then the danger becomes, where the, the dis- danger of the deception comes with seeing that, knowing it, hearing it, and then denying it. That's the picture that he's talking about. As ludicrous as the example of looking in a mirror and forgetting, so is the danger in hearing the Word of God, seeing what it reveals about our very selves, and walking away, denying it all, immediately forgetting, it says. It's not so much he's saying, man, what did it say? I can't remember. I forgot. That's not the picture. It's more, meh, forget it. That's what he's talking about. To know what it is that the Word says and then walk away from it and going, I, nope, don't want to. It is those who have deceived themselves. But this is not to be your story. Look at verse 25. Your story is found here in verse 25. And this is the key verse for this morning. It is the emphasis of the passage. Verse 25. But the one, in contrast with those who have deceived themselves, but the one who looks looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He who engages the word of God, blessed is he. I'll use that word engage there. I mean, you'll see he who looks into the perfect law. I have more time this service, so I'm going to geek out about this just for a minute. That word looks... Uh, is actually the same word that's used when, uh, when the two disciples, Peter and John, run to the tomb. And hold on, is it, I'm losing my, is it Peter or is it John who looks into the tomb and then the other one goes in? Who does that? Who looks intently? John. John goes in. Peter looks into, right? Yeah. Okay. Same word. He looks intently into the tomb. That same word. Look intently into the word. It's not just hear it, forget it. I'm looking intent. I'm, I'm concentrating. I'm trying to figure this out. The one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, he will be blessed in his doing. He who engages the word of God, blessed is he. And I love the wording that James uses here about the law of liberty. 
The NIV says that the, it's the law that gives freedom. And that, that phrasing almost sounds counterintuitive to us a little bit because of our understanding of rules and laws, right? So law is something that you can't do. There's a law against that or rules hold you back. But this law that we're talking about is not, we're not talking about the laws and the rules of man. Although they are, are well-intentioned, they are broken along with the rest of creation. And so we're talking about the perfect law. We're talking about this word that is from God who is perfect. We're talking about Jesus who is the embodiment of the scriptures. He is perfect. And so that is the law, the standard by which we can look into. This is a law of liberty. In other words, the beauty of God's word is that it not only reveals what our human nature is, where it falls short, but it also reveals what the divine ideal for us is. So then when we understand that God's word isn't a list of rules or, or, or laws that hold us down, key, key in here, rather, it is the way for us to flourish within abundant life and experience the blessing of God. Okay? How does that work itself out? Remember that our Father, the one who is love, He is the lover, He is perfect, the lover knows what is best. And so he loves us that way, in the way that is best, even if it feels restrictive to us. I'll give you an example of this um, from my own family. And I know I do that a lot, but it's the season I'm in right now, okay? I'll give you a human example. So, so Lena, my three-year-old, is not a fan that she can't run out into the road whenever she wants. She doesn't like that boundary, her mother and I, terrible people that we are, we put a boundary there. You can't run into the road, okay? Because, because we know, we know that she has freedom to experience her best life within the boundary. And it is the best and the safest place for her to be, is within the boundary. Now, it's easy to kind of chuckle at a three-year-old who doesn't understand the laws of liberty, right, Okay. But not so much when you're a grown adult and the ways of God don't always align with what you feel or how you would do things. It's much harder. And that is the tension of the law of liberty. And so we have to trust that the lover knows best, that God knows best. So what we see James doing in verse 25 is contrasting the person who lives within the law of liberty and, and to the one who deceives himself. The one who has told himself the, the boundary doesn't really give him freedom, but the freedom is what is beyond the boundary, in the road. That man has deceived himself, truly believing now that dodging cars is abundant life. That's the picture that we're given. And it, it seems silly to us, but that is the point that James is trying to get across here. How silly of us to confess Christ and then ignore his word and not do what it says. If you don't like it and you don't do it, have you really confessed Christ? And I love the wholeness of verse 25, what James points us to. I love this. It's so good. As the, bless, the blessing that comes from the law of liberty, where, where it comes from. Notice what it says at the end of that verse. He will be blessed because of his doing. Is that, is that actually what it says? No, it says he will be blessed in his doing. In his doing. This is important for us, church. This isn't a holy formula that he's giving us. Do these things and then God will dump blessings on you. 
beep, beep, boop, pull the lever, ching. He will be blessed in his doing. The blessing is in your active resting within the boundary. I don't, I, how else to say that? Your, your best life is actively resting within the boundary of God's word. This is no prosperity gospel, but the blessing of God is experienced in the boundary. Let me say it a different way. The blessing of God is experienced by not experiencing what happens outside the boundary. Now, God indeed pours goodness and blessing out on those who obey. He does that through resources and relationships. But I think sometimes we confuse this slightly and we see it more as transactional because that's what we see and think in all the time. That God is this outside entity. He is this divine cashier who simply doles out what we've already purchased. I do these things and then I, to, to get these blessings. That is not the picture that we see here, nor is it the picture in most of Scripture when it references the blessing of God in context of following Him. Blessing is not some type of, of resource reaction that God has towards obedience. Rather, we experience the beauty of God's presence and all that comes with it as we live within His perfect ways. So in my former example, that the blessing that Lena receives is not me throwing fruit snacks at her when she stays out of the road. Rather, she is blessed by experiencing the freedom of being with me and safe within the boundary. Do you see the difference? In the same way, God doesn't draw a circle and say, go stand over there and I'll throw blessings at you when you do good stuff. No, God is in the circle of his word and he is inviting us to be with him stay here with me and experience my presence which is the blessing to live within god's word and to is to is to experience the blessing of god that's the freedom that he's talking about what freedom being transformed that is, the, that is the end result of this freedom, by the way, that he calls us into as we experience staying within the boundary, adhering to God's word, being present with him there. That is that we're transformed then into the image, into his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is the emphasis of this passage. Freedom is found in who Christ is, in becoming like him. And that happens as we receive, as we live in, and as we respond to the word. It is the safest and the best place for us to be. Now, I didn't make a note of this in first service, and I need to. I use terms like the best life and flourishing and abundant. I want to be clear here. It doesn't mean that there's not fire that happens within being close with the Lord. But that fire of God's goodness and his refining fire that we walk through in challenge is way better than the fire outside the boundary. Because it's within that fire that we are refined and we look more like Christ. It's not that you're not going to walk through difficulty. It's not that you're not going to walk through challenge. But the, the, the best life there, the abundance, the flourishing, the blessing is that God's presence is with us. God's presence is with us. That is far better than operating outside of the boundary.
The last two verses of James 1 here, verses 26 and 27, as we wrap this up, put some feet to the truth and to the call to action that we've received to respond to the word. Right? So verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So here, what he's, what he's doing here is using a negative example of, of what he said earlier, being a hearer but not a doer. That person has deceived themselves. Okay, so they refuse, this person that doesn't bridle their tongue, they refuse to see that how they use their words on Facebook or the gossip that fills their text threads or how they talk about a political opponent or how they're always pointing out what is wrong and never what is good, those people refuse to see that that is contrary to the way God would have us build up and edify. And so they are deceived. It says their religion is worthless. In contrast, verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So again, out of this idea, we've been regenerated, we've we received the word, and now we go out and respond to the word to some practical stuff he's given us. But that word religion, some of you may have flinched at that word a little bit. You know, maybe if you've grown up in the church, you feel like the term religion feels like legalistic to you. You know, I've heard Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. No, Christianity is a religion. It's based off of a relationship. The word literally means to, to what binds together. Okay? And it's the perfect ending to our passage today. I mean, pure and undefiled. This is what the text says. Not, I'm not making this up. This is the perfect tie together, literally, of the three movements of the word. Religion before God the Father, it says. Okay? Meaning, as, as believers, we are bound together in covenant relationship with God, with our Redeemer. And that relationship is now worked out in practice and in every area of our life. That is religion. How then we walk, how then we talk, how then we move, the things that we do. It's not that our religion saves us. No, God's grace saves us through faith in Jesus. But that relationship takes effect in what we do and how we respond to the living word. That is our religion. And it is the whole point of the book of James. And so James gives these two practical implications of continuing and responding to the word. Good religion, pure and undefiled. One, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Two, keep oneself from being unstained, unstained from the world. These two things obviously are not the end all to our faith, nor they are, the, they are not the whole of our faith, but they are things for us to focus on as believers. Their prominent placement here at the end of our instruction on hearing and doing the word should call attention to their prominence. Okay? Again, we could spend much time digging into these two things, but they aren't the main emphasis of this passage. Rather, they are the implications of understanding the main point, experiencing the blessing of God while living out His Word in my life. Let's quickly talk about them. Are you visiting orphans and widows in their affliction? Are you? It's the same verb in Matthew 25, uh, visiting, in referencing uh, visiting the sick. It's not just a social call. The point is to care for and meet their needs. And so what orphan can you identify? That could probably have a broad definition to it. What orphan can you identify? What widow in your neighborhood or in your church can you identify? And how might you meet their needs? 
Let me just tell you that it might be simpler than you think. Sometimes it's just your presence that they need. It's just your presence, okay? Do you, are you thinking about those things? Are you visiting orphans, widows, and their affliction? Number two, are you keeping yourself unstained from the world? So as I was typing out that word, in, as I was writing this out, my computer auto-corrected the word unstained to untrained. And I thought that was an apt and appropriate way to understand this picture. Are we so used to living within the flow and operation of our American society that unknowingly we have been trained to think with a worldview that is unbiblical? Do we have a right now mindset instead of an eternal mindset? Are we fearful of the things of man rather having a rightful awe and fear of the things of God? Understand that we cannot remove ourselves from living in our world, but we can, but we can operate as foreigners here, as ambassadors. We are untrained. We need to be untrained and unstained. This idea of being unstained. Have you seen, have you seen that commercial for that new fancy paint from, uh, from Home Depot? Where like you can paint the wall and like it doesn't have any, it'll never stain. And so like there's this couple that is just really proud of their new painted wall and they're like throwing glasses of wine at the wall. Have you seen this? No. Okay. Again, first service too. I apparently watched way too much TV. Um, there's this couple and they just painted their wall. They're really proud of it. And so they invite their friends over and they're just standing next to the wall with glasses of wine. They're like, no, you can do it. It's fine. Watch. And they're just like throwing wine at the wall. And they're doing that because the wall remains as it should be. It's not absorbing anything. It's not becoming infused with or, or picking up the stainable liquid that has been spilled onto it. It's stain-proof. It still is operating in the house, but as, as the, the ick comes at it, it remains as it is meant to be. Do you want to be stain-proof? Do you want to be stain-proof? Do you want to be untrained by the world? Well, by the world? You need to be trained by the word regenerated, receive it, respond to it. I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to help lead us in worship in response to God's word here. I really like what James communicates to us in verse 25, if you couldn't tell. The law of liberty. You got to go study that some more. That's just good stuff. That God's presence is there within what he's offered to us. And as we, as we walk in, in his way and we, we keep ourselves untrained and unstained by the world, that the blessing we receive in that doing is that it's, it's, it's him. His presence is there. Do you, do you want to produce the righteousness of God? Do you want freedom for your soul? found within the blessing of God. Do you want to be stain proof? You need to be regenerated. You need to receive the word. Go out and then respond to the word. It's within that boundary, that law of liberty where, where freedom is found. And then here is what happens in all of that. We become, we mentioned this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we become transformed more and more and more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. Why is that important? Because then the world gets to see more of Jesus. That's why Ross and Hannah are going to South Asia. Because God is transforming them. They're adhering to what he's called them to. And people are going to see Jesus because of them. They're called to South Asia. Where are you called? Your neighborhood? Your home? Your work? 
live within the boundary, receive God's word, continue in it, keep fighting it forward. Christ will be magnified in that and more people will come to know who Jesus is. Hear the word, do what it says. Pretty simple. Have you stand, let's pray. We'll sing this song, Christ be magnified together. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your, your word. Um, and Jesus, that you are the word. Um, that, that it is fulfilled in you fully. And Lord, what you require of us, Lord, what you require of us is repentance and belief. What is produced in us is obedience. So Lord, help us in our obedience. Give us strength. Produce that in us. That we may live within your word, within your your holy word that sets out the way we should go, that we would experience the, the full blessing of who you are in our lives. That others would come to know who you are because of what you've done in our lives. Lord, we need your help to do that. May you be magnified. Christ be magnified in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.